Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're well wherever you are. This is the show where we speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs and creators doing awesome things in business and beyond. If you enjoy the show, you can support us. The whole thing takes about a minute. Go to glow.fm slash e2. That's glow.fm slash e2 for more. In this last episode of 2020, we speak with Craig Morantz, who is the founder of Snack Conscious, a snacking company committed to giving the consumer cleanest, healthiest, and tastiest snacks available. He is also an executive entrepreneur and turnaround CEO with extensive operations, sales, marketing, and product experience in both tech and brick and mortar. And in this very raw and authentic conversation, we discuss Craig's COVID story and what has happened to his business since March, the nature of reinventing a brand during a pandemic, why most specialty food brands use guilt as the hook to get you to buy, the importance of empathy, emotional intelligence, and being less of an asshole, why giving up alcohol and a smartphone has been transformational, and much more. It seems very appropriate that we air this one as the last episode of 2020. What a challenging year it's been for all of us. So with that intro out of the way, let's get to this very raw and very authentic conversation with Craig Morantz. What did the business snack conscious look like in March and, and what does it look like now? So maybe I'll just go back one year before that. So we, we launched as a direct to consumer brand. We were going to be this service and this brand that brought healthy snacks to people direct to their door, direct to their office, you know, direct to wherever they were. And you know, after doing that for about a year and talking to consumers, like I would meet people at an event and they'd be like, oh, I tried, you know, this product of yours. It was great. And at that time I knew every order that we were getting. So I was like, okay, great. You tell me you liked it, but you've never ordered it. And they were almost kind of like surprised. Like, well, how do you know I haven't ordered it? I'm like, I know every order. You haven't ordered it. And they're like, well, you know, uh, I get my snacks when we order from Costco or I get all my snacks at work, or when I'm getting my coffee in the morning, I usually grab something for mid-morning at that time, or it's at the airport, or like all of these other locations where the majority of people were getting their snacks. So I said, okay, well, 
So this is July 2019. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, we need to be everywhere where people are buying snacks. We're going to be in coffee shops. We're going to be in yoga and fitness studios. We're going to be at health food stores and major grocery stores. So our big launch was in November 2019 at mm -hmm. the CHFA show. Mm -hmm. We had a distributor that warehoused all the products, and they had a booth, and we had a booth, and we knew it would take a couple months. So we did another show in February in Vancouver. Great momentum. And then COVID hit. And so then the momentum that had started with the corporate snack distributors went to zero overnight. And in fact, most of those companies are gone now because that was the, all they did. They went into, and these are all the businesses that people don't realize that are hit, right? Like we hear about restaurants, we hear about gyms, but what about the janitorial services that, you know, took care of offices? Like anybody that had a business that looked after offices is went to zero overnight. And so our business went with them, went to zero every yoga, yoga studio, gym, like all of those went to zero. And where we were, you know, we were going to get our most momentum was with retail and retail stayed open, right? It's a, it was an essential service and we were excited. Like, okay, great. At least we're not one of these businesses that has been shut down. But the problem was we were an emerging brand, a, a challenger brand as they're often called. And these buyers or bigger retailers, they were focused on getting consumers into their store and out of the store. They weren't thinking about, hey, how do we bring new and innovative products to our consumers? It's like, we just need to make sure there's, you know, one month it's yeast for baking. Like we have to make sure that, you know, there's this, then there's beans and there's toilet paper. It's like, they didn't care about, you know, a new emerging snack brand. You you get up to 150 stores. Is, is this sort of pre- March 2020 that you're you're at that number? No, because we only launched into retail really in January was when we started shipping to retail. So that's probably by about May. We're mm -hmm. at about 150. But our kind of light bulb moment at the end of June, we realized that we had a good product, but it wasn't the product where everybody was clamoring to have it because we weren't differentiated enough. So with all of the noise in e-commerce, we weren't, we didn't stand out enough. And then at retail, you could say the same thing. Like, yes, they were interested in always onboarding new brands, but we weren't so different that they would say, okay, I'm going to stop worrying about, you know, the, this, you know, masks and sanitizing and all these other things to bring in your brand. So we spent four months doing research and we said if we were going to start over what would it look like so we did hundreds of consumer interviews we sat in the stores and looked at the shelves took pictures walked the aisles we tried over 75 different snacks we looked at trends in direct to consumer so why was magic spoon in the US having so much success or why had other direct to consumer brands had success while others hadn't and it was 4 months and it was really it was arduous it was uncomfortable 
because we were uncovering all the reasons why we hadn't been successful. And that was kind of one of my lessons from COVID was like, just be willing to surrender to whatever those circumstances are, because if we're going to survive long term, we have to stop, you know, fighting the circumstances. And we also said we have to create a brand that people will be obsessed with. And so that's what we set out to do. And we spent now we're on month five. We're launching in January with a new brand. It's still snack conscious, uh-huh. but it's got a new we've rebranded and we've come at it from a very different angle and we've got some new products what were some of the learnings that came out of that four-month undertaking you know one of the biggest ones was that we discovered that there's a lot of brands out there that make people feel guilty Hmm. and that's how they get you to buy the product right it's like low sugar lose weight low net carbs like all of these things that we didn't like like we wanted to say how could we bring a product to market without actually making somebody feel bad. And what, because the whole time I was like, what's going to be our hook to get somebody to take it off the shelf? Like, what are those words going to be like kills hunger or, I mean, we wouldn't say this with ours, but it's like a lot of times it's like, you know, low calorie. And my partner, Shannon, she kept, she just kept coming back and going like, this doesn't, uh, I can't support any of these because that doesn't seem to fit in with the brand that I'm developing. So what we realized was we need to actually encourage cravings. Like there's, why should we feel bad? Like people, like there's also things where it's like kill cravings, kill hunger. No, you're hunger, you're hungry and you crave something delicious. We're just here to support you with feel good food. But the formula for snack bombs has been that way or hasn't it? I mean, this whole time, I mean, this is, organic, plant-based, whole food, and delicious from the get-go. But it wasn't delicious. So I hate to say this when it's being recorded. It's not delicious enough, right? It's 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 just good. How do you know that? Do you have customers? I mean, yeah. you're, I mean you're gathering I, this feedback and they're telling you, like, I bought this product, tasted it. It's okay. It's not good enough. So the number one way to get that feedback is sales. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's no, the best metric for how good your product is. And if people like it is sales. So you look at repeat customers, you look at how often they're buying, you look at in-store velocity and you compare that to other, like you can easily get data on other brands or other uh, complete, uh, you know, the whole category. Although your in-store velocity is interrupted by this whole COVID thing. Like I, I would imagine your data sets look really out of whack this year. Yes, the energy, like for example, we have some of our products end up in the energy bar area and that is grab and go. So grab and go went like probably dropped by 50% for many retailers because people weren't coming in to grab a bar and a kombucha or a, you know, a, a cold brew coffee and, you know, go back to work. They They were at home and they weren't buying bars to eat at home. So yeah, some of the data's a bit skewed, but going back to your question is definitely talking to customers and customers will lie to you until you press them, right? Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. Nobody's going to tell us they, they, I mean, some people will say they don't like it, but it's like, okay, but did you like it enough to buy it again and again? And would you eat this every day? So we just zeroed in on flavor. We're going to give you the most decadent 
tasty flavors. And then we started adding things. So then we said, okay, what's missing from the snack section and the bar section from an ingredient standpoint? And then also adding adaptogens. So, um, big theme, big, yeah, it's, 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 it's really just getting, so like I'm in the business. So I think like it's already big, but it's really hasn't, you know, when you ask 10 people, do you know what adaptogens are? Most of them do not. No. And if I would say, if you ask 10 people, if they understand the difference between natural sugars and refined sugars, you'd probably get the same answer. They wouldn't know. This is anecdotal, but I, I would assume, uh, and you're probably seeing the same thing, that the average consumer takes a look at the package, turns it over to the back, and reads the nutrition facts and counts how many grams of sugar are in yeah. there. And they don't care. if It's you know cane sugar, natural sugar, or refined sugar. There's no difference. Yeah. They look at the number. Oh, there's nine grams or 10 grams. Their doctor, nurse, dietitian said you shouldn't have sugar, so they don't buy it. Yep. And that's the other... So that's one thing that I, I don't know the right word. I, like I just decided I'm not going to fight the consumer and try to teach them that sugar from dates is okay. No, you don't want to, again, you don't want to have 20 grams of sugar from dates, you know, multiple times a day. But I said, I can't, I can't put it on the package and convince them. So we pulled dates out and we used a monk fruit juice concentrate to sweeten it, mm. which you, you require so little actually make it sweet that it doesn't even add like it doesn't even register in sugars because you use so little coming back to magic spoon for a sec and what you uncovered there in the u.s what is it that makes this brand so successful and you know toss another brand in there that was acquired by unilever for i think 150 million pounds or something like that Grays. In this world of um, hyper, hyper competitive foods and obviously niche snacks that are higher end uh, and healthy, how do you stand out? Yeah. So what we took away from Magic Spoon was, A, they created flavors in a category, flavors in a category that previously were very high sugar and they were nostalgic. So when we worked on our flavors, we thought, okay, like uh, most people like peanut butter and jam and it's nostalgic. It reminds you of your childhood and it's somehow that combination that's just like you love it. So that's what Magic Spoon had done with many of their flavors. And so we said, okay, what are those flavors that we can do? So that's why I've got banana bread or I've got peanut butter and jam. The other thing, obviously they hit on low sugar. So they're using a number of ingredients to help them be low sugar and then use protein instead of a lot of grains. And I think the third reason is these guys were D to C, they had some experience in D to C with another product and they took that experience and when they launched, they did a really good job of involving I hate to use the word influencers because i don't think it's just influencers anymore it's people that are good at creating content it's other brands sharing your story i think more you know good influencers are actually brand partners so they're not just posting about you in a story and saying oh look i got this you know 
box of cereal from these guys and then it's gone. It's like, okay, I'm going to work with you for six months on leading up to your launch and then after launch. So I think they did that well. They did that very well also. And so those are the lessons we took from them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What about Grays? So what's your take on some of these snack boxes that have been very successful? I think they've done a fantastic job on letting people pick, you know, select mm-hmm. and kind of build their box. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other people just send send out, um, you know, a box full of random snacks. So you get this box and it's maybe not stuff you like. So I think they did a great job of where you can select the things you want. They were yep. early. Founded in 2008. Yeah. So they probably built a nice base of customers when it didn't cost $100 to acquire a customer. Mm-hmm. Are these acquisition channels primarily Facebook? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. people will say there's other ones. And sure, Pinterest and starting to be TikTok. But I mean, Instagram is where all these brands now really live. And, you know, you can say affiliate and there's a bunch of other places, but it's kind of the number one. What is it like to try and run this next phase of the company during COVID when your co-founder is in another country? Yeah. I mean, luckily, this isn't 10 years ago. Um, you know, it, it's very doable. Um, I, I think the main problem is Shannon and I did our best work when we were together. So yep. we would get together for a week a month and she would stay with me. You know, we'd eat breakfast, lunch and dinner together. She brought presents for my kids. That was an important part of our relationship was spending time with our family together. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter who she was close to. The thing is that these relationships now have to be taken care of in a different way. Do you think about what the next version of this has to look like in order for you to feel confident to take it forward? Like when you you and I were talking a little bit before the episode about Um, how tough this last eight months has been. When you look ahead, what do you see? I'm trying not to look too far ahead because I I think that's, even though, you know, I'm 48 years old, I've had multiple businesses, I've run other people's businesses, I've got lots of lessons for other people. I got caught up in looking too far ahead in this business. And right now it's like, okay, this is what we're doing in the next three months. And these are the metrics to whether we've been successful or not. So uh, our, our big picture goal is still the same. We want to expand throughout snacks. We don't, we're not like, okay, we're going to then go into cereal and we're going to go into, you know, beverages and like all these, it's like, there's a lot of room to improve snacks. One of the lessons from COVID was just being willing to surrender to these, like whatever situation I'm in, right? Because 
long-term survival is dependent on just being surviving today and tomorrow and, you know, the next month. And it's not like, I think a lot of people are resentful right now that they've had to submit. Like submission isn't something anybody wants to do. Something's going to turn around. Everything always does turn around and it might not be the same and I might not have the same amount of money and, you know, I might go bankrupt, like all these things. But if you just surrender to it, I kind of find that things tend to flow into the future in a much more positive way. So much in flux right now. But in the past, you've talked about this idea of not jumping from industry to industry. Yet, during COVID, you're seeing this constantly. And it's almost a skill to be able to pivot in a brand new direction or reinvent yourself. So where do you stand now on, on this whole view? Well, you know, I've always been of the belief that if you have good business acumen, if you have um, emotional intelligence, you know, taking those two things, you should be able to apply that to really any industry. But you should never forget that if you're going in, if you're pivoting and going into a new industry or, you know, you know, you're a restaurant and now you're going to become a catering service or whatever. It's, it's still, there's people that have been doing it for 20 years. So there is something to learn and to make sure that you learn those things as quickly as you can. It doesn't mean that you can't do things differently, but you know, I think we're in a different time of like the pivots and the people jumping from industry to industry right now, or even creating new industries is a little bit different than in regular times doing that. So like right now you've got many people, you've just, it's either that or curling up in a ball and not getting out of bed every day. I think it's about just putting one foot in front of the other every day, even when it's challenging. And I think the other thing that we have that we might not have had, you know, 20 years ago is, is like our network because it's available digitally. It, it can be so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I do think that a lot of people are willing to help other people right now more than ever. Yep. And there's forced pivots happening everywhere, um, which is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. A lot of innovation, obviously I don't want to take away from innovation, but a lot of people are being forced in this direction that is so uncomfortable where they have no experience and yeah, there's no, you know, this industry that they had experience with in the past is no longer there. So they're being, sh- yeah. they're being shifted in this brand new direction. Um, you mentioned emotional intelligence. Um, in your notes, in, in your bio, you have this topic that I, I have to ask you about. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't. Why it took me, this is a quote from you, why it took me so <laughs> long to be less of an asshole, end quote. What is this all about? Well, I, I think it takes a long, takes a long time to mature. And some obviously <clears throat> longer than others. But when I look back on my life and my career, not like I was this like dictator, like horrible, horrible person, but just a little bit selfish and not, but not, not cognizant of it. And I think a, a, 
a number of things, you know, you have kids. I think the number one, two things have happened that have helped me be less of an asshole. Number one, having kids and seeing them act like you and you say to them, don't act like that. And then as you're saying that, you're like, oh my God, like she is acting exactly how I act. That's where she's got this from. And I have done this to other people for a long time. So I think that reflection has been very helpful. Also, I stopped drinking three years ago, and that was also just when you stop for somebody like me. So I drinking was not a good thing for me. And it basically you get to the point where you're like, okay, when I drink, I don't uh, act the way that I would like to, but I'm using it in a way to, you know, the typical thing to medicate, to feel better. And it's like when you stop drinking and you've been drinking for so long, there's a big void all of a sudden of, of you seeing things that you didn't see before. So I think for me, that was also a helpful step in being able to see the way that I was kind of bringing myself to the world. Um, again, not like running down the street, you know, yelling at people or being in a business where screaming at people. It was just like, just not being as giving and caring and probably the most important word is empathetic, right? Like empathy, you know, can go so far, but it is really a skill that like, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. No. And it didn't come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. And it came later to me in life. And so that's why I think like, I'm really happy with how I show up in the world now versus how I used to. Mm-hmm. What was the moment that you made the decision to stop drinking? Mm. Um, well, the actual moment was just, you know, waking up after a, a, a Christmas, like it was a Christmas party event. Mm. And I was just like, Hey, like I can't keep having these conversations with myself the next day about not being happy with how I acted or, you know, just knowing that I disappointed people. And I thought about for years, I said, okay, I'd like to drink less, but you know, that was the one goal that I was never able, you know, you write out all your goals every year. Okay. I'm going to work out this many times. I'm going to earn this much money. I was like, I was hitting all my goals, but drinking less wasn't something I was able to do. So I finally just said like, I, I just need to stop. And it's, um, all the things that you fear, like, okay, I'm not going to be as social or, you know, I'm funny when I drink or I'm create, like I get great ideas. Like, you know, all of those things were not an issue that I thought they were going to be. In the last couple of minutes, Craig, where can people connect with you? And obviously where can people find more about snack conscious? So it's at snack conscious on all of the various platforms. I would say, find me. I mean, I'm on Facebook. I recently did speaking of addictions. I got rid of my smartphone and I got a flip phone. Wow. Which is 
as impactful as me stopping drinking. It's uh, It was hard at first, but there's no, what I realized is like, I'm using my phone in situations where I don't like, I don't, I'm, my child is in the bathtub and I'm on the floor on it, you know, sitting next to the bathtub on Instagram. Like these are these, and everybody's doing this. Like people are in bed with their phone. They're, um, you know, they're in the kitchen on their phone. So I just, I kind of like just said, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see how it works. And, you know, I can text, I can get my, I can read my email. I can on the flip you know, phone. On the flip phone, mm -hmm. right? And it's it, it's like it's a new like everybody's like oh like that must be an old no they still make them like it was seventy dollars I bought it at the mall and and what it forces me to do is a not like be texting and looking at things while I'm driving because it's it's like almost impossible to just you know texting is hard enough when you're not driving with this thing mm -hmm. but I read my email like I check in on it if I want to on my phone but I use my computer to communicate on and. It just, it's helping me lower the frequency in my head so it's not going all the time. And I'm proof that it can work. Like you, I can run a business and have a flip phone. Yeah. There is, what is the documentary that's on Netflix right now? Um, the Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen it? Yes. What did you think? It, it, it's very true. Like, um, did you, we, did you stop the, the smartphone? Like with, uh, first I, I, I was ahead of that dog. You were ahead of that dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, people are trying all kinds of different yeah. things now they've seen no, it, but it's, 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 listen, I, I like to, I like to go onto Facebook and kind of post, like I'll post once a week, some thoughts. Like I like to go on LinkedIn and, and check in what everybody's doing, but I don't need to I don't need to have it in my pocket. And I think we all think that we need to. And people say, I, I, there's no way I'd be able to run my business without this. But especially considering that we're not mobile, I think now's the perfect time, right? Because you what are you going to, you need your, your smartphone because when you leave your desk in your house and you go up to the bathroom, like, you know, like, it's not like we're going out a lot. So now is the perfect time to get rid of it. But it, it is, it's, it's truly addictive. Yeah. I think the, you know, I need it argument is masquerading as a much deeper problem, which, which you've just highlighted that in reality, if they were honest with themselves, they would admit that they're addicted. We don't have enough time to dig, yeah. <laughs> dig further into this, but, um, there is so much there. Craig, great to talk to you. Um, it, it took this one a little while to get going, but there's, there's so much good content here and thanks for sharing it. All right. Talk to you soon. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast 
where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.